Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So how's it going? <laughs> it's going pretty well. I'm I'm doing well. Rob, how you doing? Doing good. Thank you for asking. Bisque? Great. Doing really great. Y'all kicked up the new school year? Yeah, we did. Um, which is going pretty well. Um, there are very few students with in-person classes, but there's a decent amount living on campus and they're looking for stuff to do. So the little that we kind of can do at a distance with registration and you know limits on numbers um sunday mass had a great showing we had an event last night um social distance bonfire we had a great amount of new people show up to that um, that seemed excited we had some cool virtual events we got another one tonight this virtual trivia last week we did like a bible study kickoff on zoom that was well attended um I'm doing a little like Zoom coffee with the chaplain, open office hours for people to drop in. People have been showing up to that. So coming up with my team's very creative and uh, coming up with good ideas. And what started, I'd say the first day of school was kind of like all of us sort of reckoning with the fact that this year is a totally different. It's the Corona winter in summer and, uh, we're sort of like, oh, wow, campus is dead. Because the first day of school, you're used to, I don't know how SIUE was, but you're used to just throngs of bright-eyed students, you know, going back to school and excited to be in college. And this year it was not that. Nothing going on on campus, no quad day. Um, the only thing on the quad is a big tent for saliva tests for COVID. Even, and even that has nobody in it. Um, what was Newman offering those? Because that could be a way to reach out. <laughs> that is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all placebos. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of false positives and false negatives because we don't actually run a test. We just guess from looking at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, you spit just, in the tube. You just spit in this plastic cup and I swirl around yeah. and look at it. And like, Ooh. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say you're negative. <laughs> <laughs> just eyeballing it. Yep. I'd say you don't have COVID. But here's a here's a magnet with mass times. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> and you are welcome. <laughs> yeah. How was uh, Edwardsville? Is that was that pretty much the same? It's different. Um, yeah. It's. <sighs> I don't know. I'm not out there every day. You know. Um, just kind of the, with being at the parish as as well. It de- I mean, it definitely feels different. There's like the main student center with, um, the cafeteria and, you know, that's totally like you grab and go, um, for, for that. Um, which would normally I, be a place where they'd bare hand. Right. Or just like grab lunch with students, you know, mm-hmm. and, and everything. So it's, I mean, it's a very different place. Um, I've been thrilled with how it's gone, honestly. Um, like our, our campus ministers have been like great, um, and just trying to like be out on campus and kind of keeping, 
everybody updated on like, hey, here's what we can do. And we can have this room for mass and this and that. And um, the missionaries have been like, honestly, just done a great job. And because none of them know the campus at all. So it's just like learning it, you know, really um, at kind of like ground zero in in a lot of ways. Um, it feels it feels like we're kind of starting starting again. Um, but it's just been. Yeah, it's been really, really cool. We did a like a kickball game out on campus, um, just like the simplest thing, you know. One one of the evenings last week that I was able to, um, to go to, and it was awesome. Like, I mean, it wasn't a huge crowd, but there was probably I don't know twenty five students there, you know, all spread out and and everything. And it was like, man, this is this is good. Like in years past, we would have probably been inside somewhere or like kind of gathered together in in some way um and so yes i i've it's it's way different in answer to the question but it's it's not bad like i, th- I think it's gone very well so far hmm. yeah at i our, think it'll work at our parochial school here attached to my parish they have been just super flexible and fluid with all the changes and everything. And they're having in, in, in school, in class, um, school. So it's not all virtual, but they, they created these contraptions that sit on the desks of each of the students. So everybody's in masks, everybody's socially distanced within the classrooms, but then they have like, a, a three walled cubicle that's transparent. Look, it almost looks like a windshield. And so every, <laughs> it's like drive-in learning in the classroom. So every student will come in and we'll sit behind this little uh, like windshield type deal that they can see through and, but it's, it's meant to give this little protective deal, you know, uh, protective glass on either side. But I just thought like they started planning this stuff, I don't know, maybe mid-summer or something. And just the level of creativity and flexibility that these teachers and the students have has been unbelievable. And actually, our numbers have been up because people want their kids to go back to school and actually have them have them have these social interactions and be in the classroom. And I think they feel more comfortable with kind of the, a smaller school, um, more controlled environment. So, you know, similar to you guys, it's like this is no doubt different, but... Um, there's, there are good things and there, there is some fruit that's being born out of it. It's, it's made me realize, um, yeah, I mean the whole thing of like how much people hate to change, but I say that about myself of like how freaked out I was about the, I mean, campus starting and school starting and all this stuff. And it really is. It's like, man, like the church just has to keep showing up and like, we'll be okay then. Yeah. Um, as long as we do that, I'm reading this, have I told you guys I'm reading this, uh, Winston Churchill biography? Have I talked about that at all? No. Um, it's really, I wasn't listening if you did. Fair enough. Yeah. I think we had like two whole podcasts on it, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's really good. But anyway, and, um, I, I was just reading the part last night and so London is getting bombed like every every night at this point with Churchill's prime minister and Neville Chamberlain, the guy who was prime minister before him that got ousted, like right at the onset of the war and Churchill came in to, 
power as prime minister then. But uh, Neville Chamberlain died of cancer. And so um, like all these, you know, huge, huge figures um, are at his his funeral. And I think Churchill and a couple of like big time guys were the pallbearers for Chamberlain. But I just it was like freezing cold the day of his funeral. And the church they had it at literally had bombed out windows. And so it's just this image of like these like highest ranking people in the entire British government in this church with no windows in like the freezing cold having a funeral when their country is being bombed like every night. Hmm. And I was like, man, that's just what a cool image that they like stopped for this funeral and and like did it did it right. And she's like, yeah, we're not, you know, we'll be okay. We just got to keep, keep showing up. Um, I don't know if that connection makes sense. I just thought of it there. Yeah. Uh, you know, the come what historical be, perspective, I think like Europe, seeing Europe having gone through two world wars and we were, it certainly affected our country, but it wasn't, we had to go over there to fight it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know that we've really had, that was kind of what was so shocking about 9-11 was like that kind of stuff coming to our shores, you know? And I think with the pandemic, it kind of feels like, oh, wow, here's this thing that's completely changed our pattern of life. And then all these tensions and everything. Um, but gosh, you look at the politics and the and the and the war stuff in England and Germany and Italy and Spain and the stuff that's happened in the last 100, 150 years. Um, I mean, sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, is our country going to be recognizable by the time I'm old? You know, is this, is this the beginning of the end or is this, you know, the uh, AI fighter jets are going to be fighting the forever war and we're just going to be here like watching YouTube videos. Um, with our blue light glasses on and our little boxes and not able to leave because we have to wear masks everywhere we go and we might get sick and you know, like this dystopian fighter jets as well. Yeah. Yeah, Right. (laughs) Don't go outside. There are fighter jets and COVID everywhere you go. Um, Or is this just like, you know, England circa 1940 where, yeah, you can we go to school? Cause the Nazis might firebomb us, you know, but now, well, now it's not a good example because everybody's going through this, but you know, like those things pass, you just don't know what the future holds. So yeah, the church showing up, that's, ah, that's what feels really actually kind of hopeful right now is that for the last, how many months have we been doing this? Five, more than five, um, of just kind of being in a holding pattern to finally be able to, yeah, show up for people and, and host things you know, prudently, obviously, uh, but still not just surrender to this and say like, well, new normal, I guess we can't do anything anymore. But to be able to figure out creative ways to uh, build community, provide the sacraments, preach the gospel. Uh, that's what the church has always done. And, uh, you know, God is not not limited by a virus. It's kind of like, remember that story uh, of the priest who was in the Wehrmacht in uh, Nazi Germany 
He was a Franciscan seminarian, and they all got drafted. Oh, my God. Remember Under the Shadow of His Wings? Is that the book you're talking yes. about? Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. And there's this nun who he sees, and she says, oh, I've been praying that you would be ordained. I think he went to Catholic school, and he was her teacher, his teacher, and said, like, I, I pray that you would be ordained this year or something like that, whatever year it was. And he's like, well, I mean, you didn't account for a world war, you know? And she's like, oh, you think God is limited by a world war? Or like, he didn't see that coming. And sure enough, he goes to Rome and petitions the Pope directly, I think, in a private audience to get a letter. And it's like, if you were a bishop reading this, this is the Pope, ordain this man a priest. And he gets ordained like on the fly. Yeah, there was like a, <laughs> there was like a stipulation of he has to finish his theological studies after the war, but ordain him now. Yeah. I think it was what the letter. Right, because he, I think he told the Pope, like, there's all these German Catholics who are dying without the right. sacraments, and there's no chaplain. So, yeah, in the shadow of his wings. I read that at Mundelein. Yeah. Mm. Somebody emailed us once because I mentioned, oh, maybe it was movies. I got into, like, reading hero, hero priest books, like Priest Block, In the Shadow of His Wings, Silence by Shusako Endo. Power and the Glory, Death Comes for the Archbishop. We should make a list of that of those books. Do you, can you think of any more? Well, Walter Chiswick. Oh, it's Chiswick, uh, yeah. He, he leadeth me. He leadeth me. Yeah. Yeah, was it Cardinal Dolan that... Um, man, he came out with a, a pretty popular book around maybe 2000, something like that. Um Priest for the Third Millennium? Yeah, Priest for the Third Millennium. There you go. And Yeah, that's it, his talks when he was rector at the NAC. Okay, okay. Well, in, in there, is it him who's talking about um, that the church would still exist if it was just a, a bishop who was um, roaming around a park in Central Square uh, preaching the gospel? Hmm. Rob, were you, was that you? That yeah, was. I, it's, think you I know you're talking. That's not. It's not priest for the third millennium. It's um. It, what's that called? A witness to hope, or that's the John Paul II one. It's something of hope, and it's a it's a book. But I think John Allen wrote it like based off interviews with Dolan, and so um. Oh, oh okay, okay. But there, you're right. I'm remembering. I think it's that one. Um, a people of hope is what it's called. Okay, and. But yeah, there there's a great line um, in there of if all that was left was a bishop on a street corner, like asking people if if he could tell them about Jesus Christ, then like the church is alive and well. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing that because it, we've probably talked about it on the cast before, you know, years years back. But I I remember you hear, I remember hearing you say that and thinking. Like what? <laughs> Come on! Mm. When will that be? When will that be the case? You know, it's just like it, impossible to conceptualize that when, uh, you know, not a year ago or ten years ago or fifteen years ago, we're packing hundreds of thousands of people into arenas to celebrate mass or having World Youth Day events and cathedrals are pumped full of a thousand people and and then. Yeah, in little less than a year, like kind of what y'all are describing at these university campuses sounds a lot like it, except none of y'all are bishops. 
but hey, here's the church. Like we're just going to stand and tell you about Jesus and be present to you. And and maybe that's the sense that it is, is the church is actually alive and well. We're, we're showing up. We're doing our thing. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like the old saying, all politics is local. Like all, all church is local. Uh, I just remember being at the Newman Center in, in Champaign. And, you know, depending on your perspective, that was the early 2000s. You know, the church is, the church is going to hell in a handbasket. The uh, sex abuse crisis was in full swing. Vocations are down. Mass attendance down. But I felt like it. The Newman Center in Champaign, I mean, there's like 12 of us from that era that are our Chicago priests, you know, yeah. um, there was just a, it felt like a golden age. Like there was so much hope there, um, at that time. And I, I think, I mean, it's the, it's the place. It was the priests that were there at the time. I think it's still thriving, but it's just like having been there at that time, those friendships are, you know, still my closest friends. And, um, I think you can, the Holy Spirit does that, like draws people together, uh, calls people to sanctity in community. Um, I, I just have the sense that that can and, and is happening here and, and where we're, where we're all at. And if you trust in him and do what's asked of you with God's grace, like, yeah, the, the circumstances don't really matter. Um, and in fact, some of the, some of the bad things that happen in the long run work out for the good um, because it's not you doing it. It's not like the church just being really well organized and having a great chain of command and a great five-year plan and strategic vision. It's because it's an institution that's not just human. Um, have you guys ever read the book, Mr. Blue? No. Nope. It's, uh, Jamie was uh, working for Loyola Press after college, and I'm looking at it now. It was published in 2005, which is probably, well, no, we were still in college then. Um, but it was, he, he gave it to me. It was like a free book. And it's a short little story. It's like a kind of novelette about a sort of St. Francis kind of character, but modern day, living in New York City. Um, and I think he like inherited a bunch of money and ends up giving it a lot of it away. Um, but he's this character who's just kind of like St. Francis, a free man among, among slaves or a, a man with sight among the blind, uh, very childlike. And he has this vision he describes to a friend of his of um, how the world will end, how like there's just your, your comment about the one bishop on a street corner made me think of it. It was like one priest left and the whole world has gone astray and um, religion is outlawed and all this stuff. But there's this one priest who is living outside the city, you know, in a cave and growing like a little patch of wheat and a little vine of grapes and gathers it up slowly and harvests it, grinds the wheat down, makes it makes a small loaf of bread ferments the grapes, makes some wine and then celebrates one last mass. And then the world ends and Jesus comes back or something like that. And it's just, uh, he, he's like, the only thing that doesn't work is that the Lord promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So the idea that the Eucharist had stopped being celebrated is maybe 
not right, but he's like, wouldn't it be beautiful? Wouldn't that be lovely that like this one last mass, this simple priest by himself is the cause of like the entire kingdom coming, you know? Um, I just love that vision. It's, it's stuck in my head for years since that was probably my first year in seminary or year before I, I even went in I, that I read that, but yeah, I think that's the, that's the vision is like, no matter what happens, this, this is not revoked, uh, this promise that the Lord will behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. Um, any voice that's like, well, this happened, so it's impossible now. Everything's changed. Bummer. It's just not the Lord. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. I, I I remember thinking in seminary that um, why well, one of the great things about being Catholic in our theology is that if you have a proper anthropology and you have a proper um, well theology understanding of God, then well, I mean, th- those are really the two most foundational things that you have to begin with. And I love our anthropology, and obviously our theology is is, is super, super beautiful. But the reason I say that is not to get abstract with it, but it's like in every situation, regardless, all people, people are people, and God is God. And people are always going to want to... In a sense, they're always going to want and need the same thing. And no matter how much the circumstance changes, um, people still want to be encountered. People still want to hear a a message of authentic hope. People want to be seen. They want to be known. They want to be loved. And like, no matter how many layers you put around that, yeah, it can make it more and more difficult to be seen. But we have a God who's trying to see them and... Um, we have people who at some level want to be seen and like, no matter what, <laughs> that's unchangeable. And there's something very hopeful and beautiful about that because yeah, it's like, come what may, you still want to be loved. And I know a guy who loves you very, very much. And that's a message that cuts through, cuts through all revolutions, all time and space. And uh, like, I'm glad we get to hang our hat on that. Yeah, and how else do you explain the incredible popularity of this podcast? Mm-hmm. You know, despite all that's going on, that we just persevere and just throngs of fans listen to us every week or however often we decide to podcast. It's because we have good anthropology and good theology, man. That's right. that's that's what it comes down to. Mm. Yeah, we, we're nailing it. <clears throat> Yeah, can I share uh, a grace here? Made me think of. So I uh, have a new spiritual director, which is, whew, man, it's good. It's really good. Very thankful um, for it. And so we met, uh, gosh, a week ago, I think. And yeah, he just he gave me. Uh, we were talking about all the stuff. Yeah, just coming up, my own heart, what Jesus is doing. And he gave me this, he was like, we were talking about just examining your day and the practice of an examine and everything. And he gave me like the most basic form of the examine prayer that I've ever heard. Um, This is like life-changing stuff, man. And he said, okay, like when you go through your day, 
whether it's in the next morning or in the evening or whatever, when you go through your day, when was it I and when was it we? Those two basic questions. When was it I and when was it we? Of like, when were you, yeah, however you want to word it, like believing the lie or just kind of like in your own head or, or whatever of like, I, okay, I have to do this and I have to get this done today and I have to figure this out or I have to get rid of this or whatever, whatever it is. And versus like, when was it we? So when were you actually allowing Jesus to say, okay, we are going to be okay and we are going to do this today or we will make it through this. And he was like, just notice like what a difference that makes and how, yeah, I mean, just how light that makes things when you're, when you're with the Lord of like, it doesn't take away suffering. It doesn't take away any of the circumstances around you in the world or people that you love that are really suffering or anything like that. But what a difference that makes when it's like, no, you can hear then like we are going to make it through this together. So I I don't know. I found it to be just a really, really cool practice. Just those simple questions. Look at your day. When was it I? And when was it, when was it we? And it just, it seems to get to what we're talking about of like, yeah, it's just keep, keep showing up like the Lord is, is there. Amen, dude. I've never heard that before. The I and the we, I like that. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. It hits on a, like, I, I think I understand it more on a feeling level. I, I like the feel of it than, um, well, I mean, obviously it makes sense, but yeah, doing the exam at the end of the day, I think I have tried to work really hard to like, to get to that point. Like, oh, this is me. This is me. This is us. Oh, okay, great. So that it's good to articulate that. Word. Are you meeting with your spiritual director in person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Right on, dude. I think the robots are going to take over, guys. When you're talking about the anthropology thing, I thought about our off-air conversation about the robot fighter pilots. And, like, I could see a world where, you know, it appears like the main stuff of, like, the fate of our civilization individually and corporately is all in the hands of things we barely control or are controlled by an elite few. Um, and it's kind of feeling more and more like that these days. Like how much control do individuals really have? Um, and the results of, of, of big global things and decisions being made kind of affecting us and us feeling like our locus of control is, is kind of external. Um, that a part of what, what I think about in that, uh, fighter pilot losing five times out of five to the to the robot 
He's like, yeah, but I still, maybe not for fighting in airplanes, but human beings are still better than robots. You know, like I just believe that deeply. Um, Even if we're, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like machines, like the, the belief falling for the trick that machines are like more human than humans uh, is a bit like maybe this analogy might not be perfect, but um, how sometimes we get it reversed with the personhood of God, like God is three persons in one God. We're like, how does that work? Persons are individuals with bodies and souls and stuff, you know, like we, the, our, most common experience of what a person is, is a human person. But really our personhood is not like, God is not like a version of us. We are a sacrament of him. You know what I mean? So we get it kind of like upside down or backwards, the analogy of being. So um, the machines that we create, although they might be more efficient at calculating things and making decisions or beating us at chess, they're still an image of us. They're our creation, you know? And so they are, they're simulacra. They're not better than us. So there's something in the human being, and, it, and maybe it clarifies like, what is it to be human? Because um, what we normally think, I mean, our normal experience of being human is we're smarter than the animals. We're like the one animal that can make this sort of stuff. And we win all the fights. We we're the top of the food chain, you know? But then what happens when we make a machine that's better than that that stuff than us? Then you start thinking about the Matrix or Skynet going self-aware or something. And you're like, oh, my gosh, we'd be run by the by the machines. But and maybe that'll happen. It probably will um, <laughs> at some point. But that's still like even in those movies, uh, the human beings are always like they see the big picture, you know. They're the ones, even if they're fighting the clone war or whatever, um, we see there's something in human beings. There's a goodness in us, despite our fallenness and our weakness, that's just worth saving, you know? And, um, yeah, there's, it's that spirit, you know, the, the ability to apprehend the totality of being that although we're these little specks of dust with breath in us, that there's something about us that's that can that's kapox day that can receive god um and i just don't i i don't see that there's no way to erase that you know no matter how obscured it might get by whatever circumstances um you know but it might get harder and harder to see that i think i was talking to my sister the other day and she's like part of what's cool about living in the city is being able to do all this stuff, go to shows, go to, um, you know, um, there's all kinds of food, there's all kinds of commerce. There's just like, there's benefits to being in a place where there are a lot of people living in the same place, um, that are very diverse and, uh, but it's usually more expensive. Usually your house is really small, but that's okay because there's so much to do, you know? Um, but now in the era of coronavirus it's like it's you're making less money but your house is still as expensive and there's really no nothing to do you can't go out and do anything um so you're paying a lot of money for this little box 
in this crowded place where everybody could get you sick. So you just have to stay inside. Um, and you're like, why would you want to live here? You know, um, it's just like the, the, the way that our patterns of life can change things. And it's just all of a sudden you're like, this is a very inhuman environment. This is hard. You know, everybody's just working from home, staring at screens or if they're service workers, like my sister's a stylist, like trying to make it work. Um, but I, I don't know, like, although our patterns of life may change and the things that we take for granted of like, this is how, this is how we relate may change that desire for community and communion and, you know, the, the human spirit will always rebel against those things. You know what I'm saying? We'll always want more. Yeah. 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 And maybe it's, I mean, it's just, uh, it forces you to get beyond just the utility of a thing because yeah, I mean, you could look at these robots that do surgeries or beat fighter jets and beat you in chest and have these super brains that can make even better super brains. And it's like, okay, well, oh, that's if, when we're going to really be in trouble. That's when, that's when, the, when jump the brain happens. can make brains. Yeah. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's when um, Skynet gets live. Yeah. And then they, well, okay. Matrix, man, I shouldn't have watched that movie recently. Everything, <gasps> everything makes sense now. Um, but you, you, you have to look at something beyond just the utility or the functionality of a thing to see like what you're talking about, the human spirit. Well, what is that? Cause robots or whatever can do X, Y, or Z better than us. Like, yeah, but that's not the point. There's, you're talking about something different here and i mean it's tough tough to put your finger on uh we would describe it as you know, the human spirit the image of god like the the life of the holy spirit that dwells in people that's un that's un, unchangeable that nobody can change that that you're made in the image and likeness of god but but it takes a little bit to actually it, it takes some digging sometimes to see that um yeah, but it's always there. I want to ask you, like Connor, you city dweller. Uh, yeah, I'm just, just a thought that kind of came up, and this is also relating back to. I'm thinking of the um, that Churchill biography that <clears throat> I'm reading. Uh, it was very interesting that, I mean, so again, night after night, London is being just obliterated with these German bombers during this time, and <clears throat> I had this thought the other night too as I was reading it. Like, man, I think this just shows in in so many ways, like just how naive and, and young I still am, um, but I'm learning and hopefully maturing as well, because there's, a, there's an easy to think in that notion of like, OK, during this time, like London is being bombed. It's like, why don't people just leave, like just pack up and and leave? And it's very into he went through this whole chapter of like how daily life like kind of got back to a feeling of normalcy. They kind of like knew when the the bombers would come, but people still had to work and like function and, and things like that. Um, and it's, it's like, okay, that's, you could ask that question always of like, Oh, like things are tough or this is happening or <clears throat> it just, it made me think of it when you were talking about, yeah, like why you would want to live in a city is like all this stuff happening. And, um, all, all of that, but, it, and, and so it, there is like this, I think, um, 
like immature question in me that can still come up of like, why don't people just, just leave in that? So I'm just curious of like thoughts on that. Cause there has to be, it has to be more than like the inconvenience of it. There has to be like a sense of home as well. And maybe that's what you're getting in that. Like, man, like getting back to what's human in, in all of this or what's available to us all, all the time. It's like, look at, look at what's being taken away in in all of this of like now it, it can feel like hey, i'm just paying a, a lot of money for like this box in this in this place but is there there has to be that sense of home does that make any sense yeah i don't know it's uh for me <clears throat> i mean i grew up in the suburbs so i don't really consider myself a city person but i've been living in the city for depending if you count my first parish, which was <clears throat> on the border of where the city met the suburbs, but it was still pretty much like a neighborhood. Um, and now for the last six years been in an environment like that. But here, I mean, I'm, I'm 10 minutes from the loop. I'm, I'm very close to the, I'm in the shadow of the Sears tower. So all this stuff, um, I do Google, are there riots today or what's the helicopter doing up there or, um, things like that. Like, it's just, those those things affect me a lot more than when I was growing up, you know, um, still consider Chicago, you know, all the sports teams and everything. And the, the Chicago news that we watched every day and it was our, our city, but it was like going downtown was an event. I was here living, I'm like living in it. Um, so I've grown, I think in the last six years to, to love Chicago more as a home, um, especially being a Chicago priest you know, you could theoretically go anywhere in Chicago, um, get to know the neighborhoods a lot more, helping out at all these different parishes, saying mass and, you know, going to the jail, going to the hospitals and you just kind of get, you know, what's going on in the city, you get a little bit of a finger on the pulse. And I, I do love Chicago more. And I've, I've thought about that even this week as I'm driving around different places, like this is uh, there's part of me that wants to go to Ord and just live, you know, out in the sticks until this all blows over. Um, or if it doesn't just like sit down roots somewhere. And if I weren't a priest, uh, I was talking to a priest friend of mine, like if I weren't a priest, would I stay here long-term? Would I want to raise a family here? Um, I don't know the answer to that, you know, that be a prudential judgment, but how much it costs and, and all the stuff might be hard, but I have, uh, I still do love this place. And I think as a priest too, you you kind of bloom where you're planted like um the church has always been kind of a uh, urban phenomenon um you know besides like the monasteries and stuff in the early middle ages that maybe that was like the heart of the faith was out in the middle of nowhere people coming to them but generally you know in the beginning the acts of the apostles it was just like city center to city center that's where they planted churches and um proclaim the gospel with where the people were. So as a priest, I do think, I mean, that's why we go to college campuses and things like that. It's like where the people are, where the centers of learning are, that's where, that's where Christ is, you know, go, go proclaim him. Um, so, but the, the, the character of a city, like I just have a, a more of a sense of like the character of what Chicago is. And I still don't, I mean, one of the things that made me feel young and naive was, um, early on in the especially in blue island like talking to the old timers 
and just them talking about Chicago back in the day and just knowing all the streets and the names of the highways and stuff that which talking to anybody my age like is 1994 that Eisenhower or the Dan Ryan or what you know like all of these but these guys like my grandpa remembers when all of the highways were built and it was like oh the highway that goes from the west side to the loop or the the loop to the north shore or the loop to the west northwest suburbs like all of those were new developments in his so he saw the development of Chicago that I haven't seen. It just was like these things were all here when I, when I got here. Um, but that attachment to a place and like a city is like a person, it grows and it changes and it, um, you know, cities die too, you know, like is hippo where Augustine was still around. I don't even know. Um, but, for the time there's the city of God and the city of man and the two are different, but they kind of co inhere in one another. You know, the city of God is born in the city of man. That's the, the incarnation. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm married to the place. Uh, in some, in some ways I've, I've thought about the diocesan priesthood as that you're kind of married to a place, you know, I'm married to cook in Lake County. These are my people. Um, come what may, which is kind of liberating too. Um, but, uh, yeah, you have to deal with, with all that, that entails, which right now is kind of, kind of a drag. Um, cause when I have gone like on that road trip out West to go fishing and there's just like very little population, um, there's a lot of cows and stuff. I'm like, man, it'd be kind of cool to to live out here, even if not forever, uh, kind of be like a country priest and it's a different character of people. And, but at the same time, I'd, I'd still feel like a, like a transplant. Um, not that I don't hear too. Remember father Martis's thing about parishioner, what parishioner means is resident alien. Did you have him? No, we, we never had him. Yeah. He talked about that. That like the, so much of the liturgy is about that, that that we are citizens of heaven, but we, we live here on earth as resident aliens. Uh, you still have to just like the book of, um, I want to say Jeremiah when they're in Babylonian exile, like build your cities, you know, teach your children. Um, the welfare of, of Babylon is the welfare of Israel. You know, like even though you're in exile, still invest in this life here. Um, build houses and, and stuff like you live here, this is your home, but it's, you're, you're still, you're a citizen of another place. Um, and I think that's, that's how I kind of try to operate, um, is build something, do something, invest in the people in the place, but always knowing that this is all passing away and that the ultimate, your ultimate home, what you should be investing in every day is that we, you know, like, if you don't have God, if you don't have Christ, you ha- then not, none of this matters, you know? I can't remember your question, but does that, does that kind of answer it? I don't know. City Maybe. Dweller. Yeah. Um, it's cool to hear the um, perspective and I relate in, um, <clears throat> yeah, just a lot of ways of like you, just 
and that's just a very human thing of like places mean something to us. Um, and I mean, we've talked about this before and it's cool. It's good. Um, but like, gosh, man, it's just, it, it's like the weirdest thing because life as life as a priest in, in downtown Chicago and life as a, as a priest in like Springfield diocese in rural Illinois, like radically different and also the exact same thing yeah. at the same time. Um, and it's like, I mean, even you said if like people and cultures are like so different, but we all want the same thing. And it's just, it's strange and cool. Um, so I guess it kind of answered it. I was just curious anyway. Yeah. It makes me think of um, maybe Chesterton that, Connor, you related this to the podcast before, but um, where a pride for your country comes from, it's not because your country is the best or it can do X, Y, or Z, but it's because it's yours. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it like I kind of feel that with Rome is I'm coming to love Rome more and more because it, it feels more and more like, like my actual home, like a place that I know, uh, faces that I know that connect me to um, this place here. And it's just different when it becomes, when it becomes yours and you become a part of it, there's, there's a type of living relationship that exists there. You're like, yeah, it's just a land and it's just building, but dude, it's mine. This is my, (laughs) these are my people. This is, I belong to them and they belong to me, you know? Yeah. So maybe your wedding, your marriage image, um, gets to something like that. Yeah. And you know, kind of also what I'm saying too, with the city of God, city of man thing is that I guess my experience is that as the church, although we see our final home as somewhere other than this, I, I think that especially now with, um, how disembodied everything is like, like working from home, you know, you're not, Whereas like in my grandpa's age, he worked down on Michigan Avenue. He sold suits at Saks Fifth Avenue and uh, my dad helped him out in the summers and like they knew they knew the L stops and the trains and um, the food and the different neighborhoods and like where you could get this kind of food, where you could get that kind of food. And, and like now, I mean, those things still exist. The shadow of the, those cultures when when in Chicago, everybody identified where they were from, from their parish because it was such a Catholic city. Um, those steeples still, um, are in our skyline, but you know, they're kind of shells in in many ways. And people go to the church that they, they'll drive out of their neighborhood to go to the church that they like or, or whatever. Like we're not as attached to a place anymore because of the way things have moved. Um, there are a lot of different forces that have made that happen, but I, I think the church, when she's being herself like plants people more firmly in the earth, more firmly in their place. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and creates that love of your city, love of your community, love of your town and that pride, that healthy kind of pride. That's not my country right or wrong or that pessimism of like, Oh, the city's kind of sucks. Like it's full of garbage and rats. And, um, I do some, I do like want to get out and go into the mountains and breathe some fresh air sometimes. Uh, you do feel hemmed in in a city. At least I do. Mm-hmm. Some people thrive in it, but um, I, I also think being a Christian, being a Catholic, and being a priest has made me 
more like when I was in Blue Island, I just I think I loved and I love Blue Island. Like I still like if I see it in the news, I'm like, those are that's my people, you know, that's my place. Um, And I I think that that it it should. And this is my firm conviction that being a Christian should make you more human. It does. It's not like we're transcending human nature. It's the perfection of human nature is Jesus, you know, and Jesus was from a town. Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, that that's part of it. Part of being a person is being from a place. Hey, I got it. Sorry to cut it, man. I got I got to get going, though. Whatever, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Real cool. Real well, cool. I, I, look, I got to celebrate Mass in 12 minutes. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Th- think of a homily real quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hey, let's you- church. Be church. <laughs> that's what we're All saying. Right. Man, oh, that's man. what I'll title it, Be Church. Be church to one another as we church in church. Title it. Church there was a good line in there. Analogy of being. Yeah. Analogy of being. Or, or be church. It's the same thing. Analogia entis. The analogy of being. All right, guys. See ya. See you, Mike. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.